do you know what surprised me? The first thing that people always ask is, where the hell did your company name come from? (laughs) (laughs) That's always the first thing. What does it mean? (laughs) So I should have asked that, shouldn't I? (laughs) You don't have to. I'll tell you if you want to know. You have to tell us now because it's on the recording. (laughs) Okay. So um, we don't have any unions in marketing for... um, to my knowledge, but what we do have is a long and glorious tradition of being talking absolute nonsense and useless and embarrassing um, things. We, I often um, play marketing bingo with people and poke fun at, at my cohorts. Um, you know, we're talking about synergy and there are all kinds of meaningless words that we throw in to make Blue it Blue sky thinking. Yes, exactly. Um, So um, it was a trend for marketing boutiques and agencies or consultancies, whatever they like to call themselves, um, to have a name which they would claim meant something which meant nothing. Mm. And when I first started freelancing, I just needed something to put on the invoice and I thought it would make my client laugh. So I wrote Butterslump and it just stuck. It was just a very cute thing um, and it obviously meant nothing. And um, it just stuck and um, it's not something that anybody ever forgets which is probably why most people do something like that yeah but it, I, yeah I, I would love to say that it means something but it's um, the only time I've ever um, heard it used is I used to swim and in my school team if I was doing um, butterfly stroke and I wasn't holding my neck and head properly she would say you're flumping you're flumping and that to me was butterfly so yeah. Love it. in the water like a useless lump. <laughs> power. So that, yeah, that's where it came from. But it means nothing. Most things that marketing people say mean nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that. You're listening to Series 3, Episode 21, and to my guest, Leanne Marie Meese. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 18th of May, 2022. What did you want to be when you grew up? Ah, oh, that's a really good question. Um, I wanted to be a writer from as old as I can remember first writing, so I guess five or six. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do. Hello, loves. Welcome to Radio 4 from Hell. Leanne Marie Meath, aka Butterflump, is an ethical marketing consultant. This means she only works with people and companies that are genuinely doing some good in the world. Her clients are soul-led businesses who care about their impact on the environment and their impact on our society. She has 23 years experience in her field and began working in digital marketing when email marketing was just coming into its power, way before social media marketing was even a thing. It's a slightly different chat from the usual as Leanne puts a lot of my questions back to me, which is why it gets its own unique episode title. I'm not going to bang on this week. There's some minor changes to the show that I have planned, but no big news to tell you. I still need guests. I always need guests. Please recommend people to me and me to people or just bite the bullet and come on the show yourself. Your answers might surprise you. Anyway, stay tuned over the coming weeks. There's some good stuff coming up if you like this sort of thing. But now please enjoy this episode of Working Hours with Leanne Marie Meese. So what is it that you're doing now? Um, So I run a marketing consultancy and the bulk, the vast bulk of what I end up doing is either writing or creating some form of artwork to go alongside things I've written. Mm. Um, And even if it's copy editing things for other people rather than creative writing for myself, I do still feel like I'm kind of tapped into what I really like doing yeah 
so how did you get into it? Did you go straight into, you know, you were just writing, 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 and then you started getting some jobs for the writing and then that took you in this direction or how did it go? Um, so I have kept diaries ever since I was first bought one by a parent. So I, I guess again, it's kind of maybe six or seven. Then um, when the internet first became a thing that people started to get in their homes because I am that old, um, I remember having a, a blog, like a little online diary of, you know, a closed community. And I kept that up well into my 30s. Um, and then when I felt more comfortable sharing with people that I actually knew in real life, then I, I started a blog, a, a food blog. Um, Work-wise, I started out in sales and marketing. So it's always been something that's been part of my work. And... Yeah, it just kind of all threaded through from there. Mm. You said sales and marketing. I'm assuming you started sales first, then went sort of drifted into marketing as you kind of got more into the, I suppose, the theory of sales. Yeah. And um, sales is kind of one of the building blocks of marketing. So I felt like it, I, what I wanted to do was understand how every aspect of marketing worked. And mm. um, I actually thought initially I might prefer to go into advertising because that seemed a bit more creative um, mm. and it's every part of what I do now, but I wouldn't like to be hemmed into just one area. Um, so I, I learned coding to build and develop websites. I learned the selling side of things, uh, both cold calling and in, in person, uh, advertising. Um, and then um, when social media, again, sort of was first coming in and I was there at the advent of when companies first started using it as a, a form of mm. communication. So a valid form of communication, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, in a commercial form, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, because it, I mean, it, it still is taking companies a long time to kind of figure out what to do with it. And others, some sectors are really good at that. And some businesses with the big, you know, the, the clout to do that have paid to get the knowledge in and, and, and make themselves good at that. But there's plenty of companies, as we saw from lockdown, who are just like, what? Digital stuff. <laughs> Um, so I'm interested to initially in, so what was the first product that you were selling? Was it a financial instrument or was it a physical product? Like what did you start selling? The first, um, so my dad worked in, well, still does worked in sales. So I can remember him, um, taking me out at the weekends with him in his van and, um, sort of he, at that time, he was working for a gourmet frozen foods company. And I think I mentioned absolutely huge foodie. So I like to be trotted along and learning about all these very fancy fish and things that people were buying and, and see how he did it. So there was a little element of helping my dad with that. Um, but my first job that I was paid to do was selling gym memberships in the gym that I worked at. And um, I started out on reception, I moved into gym sales. I realized how much I loved, you know, working with people in that way. And then moved to a company which sold kind of janitorial products and, and various eco-cleaning chemicals mm -hmm. things. Um, yeah. In terms of your day-to-day -day then, I mean, marketing seems like it's the kind of thing that you could do on a nine-to-five basis. Is it something that you can finish your working day and go home? Or is this something because you've got that creative element where you're always like, well, I've got to do this for it and I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do it. Like, are you always on? How's your sort of work-life balance? Oh my goodness. That is 
a very, very good question, which is going to have probably quite a long answer. So feel free to cut me off. Um, <laughs> so if I break that down a little bit, um, in terms of the nine to five, no, I absolutely don't work at nine to five hours. I haven't done for the last 10 years, my last big corporate role. Even then it was nine to five, it was seven till seven and sometimes weekends because um, but now I have the flexibility, uh, because it's my company and um, to work around my various other life responsibilities. But because as you say, it's a creative thing that I do, I could be laid in the hammock, having a rest and planning and thinking about campaigns. I could be out and about doing home education things with my son and get a spark for an idea and be on my phone, making notes or taking pictures or, or video or whatever needs to be. Mm. Um, it is something that because I'm so passionate about it and enjoy it, I, I'm quite happy not switching off from it in that way. Mm. Um, but also because a lot of my clients have become friends or my friends have become clients. Um, when I'm out and about with them, we'll often end up talking about work whilst our mm. kids are having play dates or we're, you know, having a drink in the pub or what have you. So even then there's that kind of duality of work and life that, that is more enmeshed. Mm -hmm. um, I try to have very good boundaries in terms of getting enough rest time. So I do think that I have quite a good work-life balance in the way that I'm happy with it. I don't know necessarily my husband or son or friends would agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're the main person to consider here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm happy with it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, everyone else can adjust around that. <laughs> uh, let's go through your lockdown journey so i used so because i started this in essentially covid and you know it, even though it's fallen off the news most of the news agenda it's still something that's kind of ongoing and i think going through that lockdown journey sort of taking you back through that is a really good way to kind of think about that change and sort of the change in the amount work that you were doing and how you were working and whether that change has, has lasted or or had any lasting effects. So take us through your lockdown journey. I mean, were you were you working more or less? Were you able to furlough yourself? Was it all just panic? Were you just spending all your time ringing everyone going, I don't know what's going on. Do you know what's going on? Like, how was it? Take, it, take us through it. <laughs> um, so for me, um, my son, um, at that time wasn't home educated. He went to the local Steiner school, which unfortunately closed as a result of COVID. He mm. didn't make it. So having him at home all of a sudden um, was both a, a lovely thing and an interesting thing for having these times when he would be there at school mm. and I expect to be working. So mm. there was that small adjustment because initially I think I could see what was coming. I, I believed that even if we didn't have a national lockdown, I knew I would make my life a little bit smaller to mm. try and protect, you know, us, but also yeah. the people we cared about. We unfortunately uh, lost someone quite close to us very, very early in COVID. And um, one of the first people I'd ever heard about that had it, it was barely making news at the time. So it was something we took very seriously. Yeah. Um, and in terms of how it impacted my work, I was in a fortunate position where we could have survived on one income, so I could have chosen to take time out and fill on myself if I needed to. But as you'll probably remember, we didn't really hear as self-employed people mm. what was happening for a really long time. Mm. So there was that, as you said, element of panic, what's going on, what's going to happen, what should we do for the best? Mm -hmm. And 
in terms of how my work adjusted through that time, I felt like I, I was in a good position to be able to help clients adapt their businesses from doing things to making it online and making it work online or making it work from home. I had a lot of expertise in that area. So I could, I wasn't short of work to do if I wanted to do um, and because we didn't know how long all of this was going to last, there was this kind of, I absolutely must earn some money right now and just really make sure that we've got some savings or something for later. Looking back, I really wish I'd taken the opportunity at that time to just kind of stop and rest and process the situation because it, it was maybe about five, six months in before it really hit me. This really isn't going away. I don't have to keep working at this pace. I can yeah. just you know, take some time. We, I also helped a few um, local heroes to set up a, uh, it was a Facebook group for self-employed people. And within a couple of weeks, we had 1,500 people um, within that Facebook group, all the sharing resources and helping each other. And um, we used to stream the daily press briefings through it and sort of try and pick apart what they were saying so that we may understand what it meant because it mm. was very difficult to try to understand what we, well it meant for us as self-employed people. Um, so yeah, that 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 wasn't really what it started out like for me, and it's obviously still going. Although the world has opened up a little bit more, mm. um, and I'm still in a place where I'm trying to have the opportunity to rest where I can. Because mm. I know I mean, that the of my business is thankfully stable yeah have you found that i mean would be before lockdown were you sort of traveling to clients more and meeting in person more and are you doing a lot less of that now or is that coming back i'm doing a lot less of that at the moment less because of covid and more because um i am a carer for my husband so it's tricky to do away trips and yes i, I was occasionally traveling to meet clients or to go do photo shoots at various locations or oh. for whatever reason mm. yeah let's do the brexit question because they're, they're sort of okay kind of odd i would not really want to know how your lockdown was but we don't want to wrap the structure um it was it was hell and it was great as well it was i mean it's it was nice that the roads were quieter and that you know that you had to think of other things to do and it was nice when the weather was nice. I mean, that last lockdown was was awful. It was yeah. just dark all the time. It just went on forever. We're all just like, when's this end? Um, I was quite fortunate in that first lockdown, like pretty much everyone I knew, you know, we were all in there. Is this even real? Because <laughs> um, it's like, nobody's got this. It's like, well, they've all been indoors. So they yeah, haven't had a chance. Yeah. Um, and then I got... I I got it. I mean, I think I had it in the, the November before, personally, before the lockdown, because there was this horrible illness that was going around. It went around everybody and it was like nothing that we'd had before. Hmm. Um, but then I officially got it in February of this year, um, which also cost me some work, which was great. Uh, but I wasn't too bad because I had been, I'd had the jabs. Yeah. which I ummed and ahed about, but I had a relative who was in hospital at the time and has now passed. And it was like, well, I'm going to have to, if I'm going into hospital, there's, there's no, there's no umming and ahring about the politics of inoculations when you have to deal with the practical realities of life. Do you feel, 
did you feel skeptical about how quickly they came about or or how or, or any of that? Because I have a friend who worked on the vaccine. Mm. So I felt quite trusting and safe because I, I knew her. Mm. Um, but I, I know that's not something that um, everybody was feeling at the time. There was a, a lot of fear about. Initially, I was spending all my time just ranting about climate change and yeah. I was just really annoyed by this news article of like, let's all worry about this pandemic. And it's like, you know, after swine flu, <laughs> like, this is a non-thing. Um, and then as it sort of, you know, as it got louder and louder and continued on, as things started closing down and stuff, it was like, okay, right. I'm going to read some stuff about this. So I read up on it and then I was like, oh, great. Um, and yeah, it was, I was, my position on the, the vaccine was kind of, yeah, it did kind of happen too fast, but I also think that's plausible and possible. The other thing is if they can do that though, why aren't they curing anything else? Why aren't, you know, why aren't these other things coming along? If you can do that, why aren't we doing it for everything? So, um, but yeah, that was that was kind of my position on it. I'm not particularly too big on you know these follow up injections and everything else because it seems it seems like just money making to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know I'm not a medical person and I could read up more about it and all of that. But I'm you know it's not it's not something that I want to get lost in. And then if if I feel particularly at risk at a later point, and I think that it'll do me a favor to kind of get further boosting or inoculation, then I will no doubt do that. I'm also potentially going to be volunteering on a thing that will be promoting the vaccine. So you know, I'm definitely not anti-vax, but I'm not 100%, you know, pro everyone should get the vaccine. Like I understand people's reasons for being skeptical especially in this kind of media environment that we have now. Yes. <laughs> what a special, <laughs> interesting time we're living in. <laughs> yes, yes. I would describe it as awful. Oh. <laughs> this is the marketing in me trying to put a bit <laughs> on it, but really the real reason is yet awful. Um, what you were saying before about, um, about, about climate change, wasn't it so wonderful when for those first couple of weeks, everything was quiet? Mm. Hear birds singing, you could hear insects humming, then we were getting the data that the whole of the ozone layer was closing mm. and just shutting off all of the factories and, you know, not being so many cars on the roads and trains and planes. It was, and yet everything's gone virtually back to normal in mm. that regard. There hasn't been any, um, any real sense of, well, we told you if we did fewer of these things, it would be better. And mm. it's like, why hasn't that? changed well I, I i think that's an interesting point as well because you know I, i've said on these recently when we have been touching on lockdown um you know and it falling off the news agenda there's this sort of i think it's us as well we want to forget it or we want to pretend it didn't happen or you know like where you can and you know someone said it is like reacting to a trauma there's a lot of kind of forgetfulness and kind of if I just cut that out and then I don't have to readjust my reality to what actually happened to me. Um, so yeah, I think some of that is driven by us and just our kind of want to forget. 
and some of it's driven by people in power who don't want us to think about such things. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, well, let's do the Brexit question then. And this is, so this is just to look at if it's changed anything, but obviously it kind of happened at the same time of, as COVID. So for some people, it might seem indistinguishable. As far as you can tell, has Brexit affected your work at all? Has it affected workload or the way that you work or anything like that? It has definitely impacted my work. I have clients from overseas that um, that were unable to trade in the same way that I can no longer work with. Mm-hmm. I have projects that I was working on where all of their funding has, has been cut and they're closing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have people whose uh, resources that they used or the materials were, were overseas that they've had to change their business. So in some ways, I've been able to help some of my clients adapt in other ways that it's just been devastating for them. Um, it was because it was all happening around the same time as COVID. Um, sometimes it was hard to tell how much was Brexit and how much was COVID. But with hindsight and with more information, is it's you can't fail to see the huge impact that Brexit has had and is still having. Mm. Um, so, whereas me personally, and um, I'm in a position where I can go and find more clients and and if I need to, it's very, very sad seeing the impact that it's had on the clients that I worked with many years and treasured mm. um, that could no longer do what they did. Um, and that you helped to grow as well. I mean, you would have grown those companies and it's kind of like, that feels like your achievement as well, because it is. It is, yeah. Um, and, and that's very sad. Um, and um, not just sad, it it's it makes me very angry in a lot of ways and I'm not a person who's quick to anger, but that kind of slow burn frustration when you, you kind of, you feel that this is something that's at risk of happening and mm. then you see it inevitably is going to. And mm. there's, I think if there was less of the gaslighting that happens in the media and by the government and, you know, to hold your hands up and say, do you know what? We were wrong. Or do you know what? We didn't want this to happen, but it is happening, but it's, there's none of that it's all very much no the best thing's happening we're free now really are you because i'm not <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's um uh, yeah I, I i won't go into it because <laughs> otherwise it'll just be i know how these go it'll just be me and you doing ranting. <laughs> <clears throat> so um right brexit covid um let's do climate change so can you in your work or are you in your work doing anything to adapt or mitigate or even raise awareness around climate change like can you change any of your working methods like what can you do on the climate front and it doesn't just have to be climate it could be any sort of green issues but then also is the green stuff that you're doing is it just promoting those and you know, like taking something you're already doing and going, I'm doing this, this is really good. Yeah. So, you know, is it, I don't want to, I don't want to say, are you greenwashing? You can't obviously I, say that. I'm glad to ask the question in that way because I feel very, very strongly about greenwashing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so my business, I can do my business completely digitally, paperlessly. Um, so I can, and I as a person, personally, and zero waste. So there is a lot that I can do as an individual. Um, but as a small business owner and as somebody who influences other businesses, 
I am very, very firm on my policies about the businesses that I will work with. I won't work with companies that are doing um, things to the environment. No matter how much they will offer to Kenny, I will not work with companies that are not being responsible over their carbon footprint, their emissions, their, uh, the people that they're working with. Um, and that can be tricky, but I, I'm in a position where I can say no and I can set that example and I can pass on a little bit of information in the process to say, this is why I won't work with you. And I will give them the opportunity to reflect on that and to learn and to grow. And I'd be happy to work with organizations that do want to make those changes, but I won't tolerate any kind of greenwashing. And so people that have products and services that are not, you know, things like fast fashion, uh, for example, or I've worked with organizations that make eco uh, personal care products, for example, that are truly zero waste businesses. And they're, you know, absolutely incredible local organizations that I've been proud to work with. I've worked with people who um, do tackling misinformation to people and parents, for example, who um, to show them other ways that they can um live i'm trying not to mention any specific people here. Okay, yeah because <laughs> um, i don't want to take like this as a free advertising space for clients because that's gross i'm not going to do that but yeah and and so thinking of um and then projects that are, are working to help support local organizations to um be more energy efficient i have clients that are consultants in that area and mm-hmm. um, before I worked for myself, my first freelance job upon starting this business um, was for another PR firm, and they worked in um, the field of renewable energy. So right from the get-go, I could see how many amazing companies were really trying so hard to make a difference with big corporate entities, smaller businesses, individuals. So I just think there's so much potential and scope to do things differently. It's not like it was 10, 15 years ago where there weren't that many options there are an abundance of options so much so that we now have greenwashing because people mm. can see how if you say you're doing something and um, people respond to that positively um so yeah and um, i'm i am very very um conscious of uh of that is that i mean i i, I don't know how I'll, I'll say bureaucratic you are <laughs> um <laughs> but like i i mean i don't know if you've sat down and writ- written business policies for yourself and so um, on. have you put that like is that built into your sort of business model is it sort of yeah, yeah right at the start yeah start it's more of a manifesto than a policy although i do have policies that mm. reflect that in terms of you know data storage and, and things like that there are certain uh companies that i want work with Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of particular technologies and stuff like that because they're not energy efficient Mm -hmm. so um but yeah i um i'm very open and upfront when somebody approaches me for business that this is the way i like to work and that there are certain conditions and who i will work with and the way that i work and most people i find are very positive about that yeah and it's good for them to work with somebody who helps them be better and will hold them to account Mm. And it's, um, yeah, everybody likes to think they're doing um, the right thing, don't they? So, mm. It's an interesting one to ask. And yeah. I, I had, because it's interesting what people think of and don't think of in terms of what they're doing um, and how we discuss recycling and just sort of 
that whole phase of recycling. But then as someone pointed out, it was, I think it was one of the guys from Sale, or it might have been constitutional. Apologies for the people who know the answer. Um, but yeah, this sort of, but that's an achievement in itself that we have got, you know, okay, not every office is really good at it, but the fact that it's there and that it's part of the culture is still quite, you know, yeah. it's quite an achievement to a, a level. We should be doing better, but you know, oh, it's still something. Yeah, me included, everybody could. But um, I'll just quote, um, we don't need a um, hundred people doing it perfectly. We need a million people doing it imperfectly, something like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and then just the ability to be able to do it at a larger scale. Yeah. Uh, the main obstacle to that is the people we have in charge. Yeah, I feel like that. I love the idea of there being a trickle up effect, but mm. we know in reality it's always got to be a trickle down because... Um, there's only so much pressure that individuals and communities can put on a government that doesn't want to deal in truth and fact. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll go from there into social media. My question regarding social media is to look at, and I probably know which way you'll fall on this, but look at this kind of return of investment of social media. <laughs> So it's kind of invading more and more roles and workplaces and just individuals and, and people at various different points of organizations. So um, more of us are doing social media for work, which I guess would be work media. Yeah. Um, so do you, do you feel that from the amount of time and the amount of energy that you put into social media, it really does deliver those rewards that make it tangible? Like do you feel that it's tangible and that you know how to get that and that there will be results? Um, so the thing that I've learned about social media as somebody who has worked in it from the literal advent of all of the major companies that we now know are social media. Um, I feel that anybody who says, I absolutely know how it works and it should always work this way is not to be trusted or believed because the micro adjustments that you have to make on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly level to the way that you work in social media. Um, it's an, an ever-evolving strategy. Um, and so me as the, the one thing that I don't like is that I have to use it as an individual in order to work in it. I can't just come up with a strategy and make a template and then do it for clients and then switch off from it. I physically mm -hmm. have to use it. Otherwise you lose that that nuance, those micro changes. Um, you, I'm constantly kind of gathering data in real time about what's effective. I'm constantly looking at what other people and organizations are doing and saying, oh, I like that. I don't like that. I don't think that's the right way to go. They definitely need some crisis management after doing that. Um, you know, so it, it, as um, someone who works in it and uses it, it, it is something that you have to um, accept it as part of life. Um, what you were saying about um, how people's roles have often changed to incorporate social media where before that wasn't something that they would necessarily have to do with. It used to be once upon a time to be one person at the company that was your token, token social media person working in, you know, marketing, for example. And um, now there are whole teams. There are people that, you know, companies that outsource it to someone like me. Um, and, you know, it's... Uh, it becomes almost bigger than sales departments sometimes. Mm. 
I've just got so many notifications flashing. I get <laughs> I know the first the first time I was like, what what's what are you doing? And, doing and then I was like, yeah, I know what she's doing. <laughs> And on Google uh, Meets, nothing flashes up beyond Google. It's the one thing. And um, mm. there's Zoom for some reason, it just allows everything to happen. So anyway, sorry about that. So for social media, I um, I have clients that I work with where I have to get the people, other people that work within the organization to embrace creating content. It might be that I'm having them um, create video testimonials or do little interviews or give quotes might be that I'm needing to take pictures of them going about their everyday work. It might, I, I mean, this is not something that I tend to do, but other people in my area will have people do TikTok, dan- TikTok dancers mm. and stuff like that. So it, it's becoming more of a presence in everyone's roles. Mm. Uh, and with the advent of GDPR in particular, that certainly changed the way that we'd go about social media. There's a lot more as it should be about consent, about how images are used and, and where they're used and things like that. Mm. Um, I mean, you were obviously like, I mean, you said you wanted to go from a writing background. You talked about that you, you like the creative aspect of what you're doing. Um, I mean, are you a person that believes that we're all creatives or do you think that there are people who are creative and want to do creative stuff and they should be doing that? Or I <laughs> know we forcing non-creative people to suddenly be like filmmakers and photographers and so on to create content. Like what's your, what's your feeling and thoughts on that? Oh, honestly, that's a wonderful question. Um, I love that. So I am uh, married to a person who believes they are not a creative person. And I see that as a limiting belief. And because they think that they're not a creative person, what that really means is they're not comfortable expressing creativity. Um, So I am somebody who considers myself to be very creative. My child, probably because he went to a Steiner school where everything is about imagination and art and Mm. being liberated. It's like a a tiny improv class almost that just they're they're engaged in that way. So the he my child and I to live with my partner and see the the difference in attitudes there. It's uh, yeah, I, I believe that everybody has the potential to be creative. I can see very clearly that not everybody believes that and they have that kind of limitation imposed upon themselves. Either because they're not brought up with that opportunity. Um they or they just don't engage with it for whatever reason. There are so many different ways to be creative and it can be done in a structured way. Um, you know, for anyone who doesn't have the um the spontaneity, the natural spontaneity to to do it. You know, all of the kind of mindfulness activities that we yeah. now know are good for us. And um, do you remember there was that craze for kind of adult coloring books, for example? Yeah. Well, we're suddenly drawing mandalas and that's a way of being creative, but within a structure. So I think, and, um, or it could be um, joining a choir and singing or learning a dance, you go to a dance class or there are so many ways to be creative in whatever you're doing. And it's just allowing yourself that freedom, I think, and changing your mindset maybe about what you're capable of. Mm. And the other thing that I think is maybe relevant is about um, with art in particular, I know a lot of people who say, I can't draw. And that's absolute nonsense. Everybody can draw. If you can hold a pencil, even if you can't hold a pencil, you put it in your mouth or in your feet. Um, you know, there are elect- electrodes we can strap to the head and you can draw with your mind now. There, ev- anybody can draw, is, is my point. But um, 
you maybe haven't practiced in a way to draw the way you would like to draw. So sometimes it's yeah. about that self-belief. Sometimes it's just about practice. So yeah. If you practice being creative, then you wouldn't feel that you are. Yeah. Um, I would say yeah. practice is a major, a major thing of just, you know, the more, the more you do a thing and the more you do a thing badly and hopefully learn from it being bad, <laughs> you go, this is bad. I know it's bad. I'm making this thing. It's bad, but I know where it's bad and I can make these improvements. Like as long as you can make those adjustments and improvements. Yeah. And yeah. I love failing. I love the things that you learn from just messing something up. But I'm quite comfortable being vulnerable in that way. Some people to fail at something is just the absolute worst nightmare. You know. Well, that links back to what we were saying in terms of, you know, sort of the, the political discourse, this sort of inability for people to now be able to say, yeah. do you know what? I did it wrong there. And, and like, you know, you can't, even if they did say that, um, and they never do, but it's always sort of... <laughs> fast and <laughs> but the, there is that feeling i think that, that you know it's like no one can be wrong so even if you are wrong and i think some of that maybe we could lay at the blame of social media <laughs> but some well, of that is like oh yeah i'm wrong but also i'm not wrong and you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> it's um i often say that both things can be true so sometimes it's not about one person being wrong. It's about, well, this was where they're coming from. That was their perspective and their experience of it. And that's where you're coming from. That's true. That's true. In the terms of like the scenario that you're both butting heads on, mm. this is the right thing to do. And maybe neither of you there, or maybe they are. And mm. you, you've got to do something about where you both are in this Gary Hans situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, um, I wonder if... Um, because we have spent, how many years is it? 12 years now with this kind of political climate of under no circumstances, apologize, say you're wrong, don't necessarily deal in truth and facts. Mm. Um, so I wonder how that will make people feel about being comfortable just saying, you know, I was wrong and mm. I'll do better next time. Mm. Um, I think you're right about social media. It has definitely created that kind of polarization. And um, oof, yeah, it's a, a scary thought, really. But it's it? that affectation as well, I think, because it is an affectation of just, no, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So uh, we'll move from social media on to, let's do the UBI question. Sure. Um, I think this would be quite interesting from you. Uh, so if there was a UBI, uh, first of all, would you work? And second of all, would you be doing the same work that you're doing now? Um, if you would be doing something else, what would that be? Um, if there was universal basic income, I would definitely still be doing what I'm doing. Um, I am one of those very, very strange people who doesn't do what they do for the money. Mm. I could not be less interested in becoming a millionaire or anything like that. I, um, when my child was part of the Steiner community, I often said, you know, if I don't play the lottery, but if we did win the lottery, I'd just donate it to the school because I like my life the way it is. I don't mm. want to suddenly be incredibly wealthy and different from everyone else. I would like to know what I could do to help with that money. Mm. I'm not a saint or anything, you know, but I just, I, I feel like that kind of concept of, just living in this very capitalist world and seeing the damage that wanting money and power can do. Mm. 
I don't really want any part of it. I mm. And so a universal basic income, I think is wonderful because everybody deserves to have the dignity of just having a, a fair wage. Um, it absolutely breaks my heart, the inequality um, and the wage gap that we have, just everything about the way our society is structured in terms of how we're able to learn further living. Mm. Um, it's terrible. I, I would definitely carry on doing what I'm doing because I love what I do and the money isn't, I'm very privileged to be able to say that the money isn't my main driving factor. Do you think it would um, reduce your hours at all, or do you think you'd still do the same amount of hours? I mean, even with the caring commitments, have you got the, do you, do you feel like the balance is pretty right for you at the moment? Then? Yes and no. Some yeah. days I would say that I feel on top of it and that, you know, it's sustainable. We were talking earlier about how this week, it's just been a mare of a week. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, even if I had a lot more money, I wouldn't stop working and just focus on that. I, I, something would wither and die inside me if I didn't. Mm. Um, yeah, I might move and do it from another country if mm. I could afford that, but I would definitely still do right. How about you? Do you feel that way? UBI. I, so I wanted, uh, I wanted to ask the question about UBI because I wanted, um, I wanted to see what people's responses would be and I've, I've asked it before i was doing the podcast and when i've asked people before the things that i used to get obviously i'm framing it in a particular way here and mm -hmm. talking to a marketer you know all about framing uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so um you know the, and, and i am asking would you still work and do the same sort of job so people are sort of considering that but when you give people the when i've said to people before and it's not in a work setting it's either i'd go traveling or to go back to school. But I think the main thing, like for me, I don't want to be doing the, like everyone coming join my Patreon and, and also running around everywhere going, everyone listen to my thing just in the hopes that one of you will pay me some money in order that I may live. I would rather just have basic income so that I could just get on with what I'm doing. And I think everyone <laughs> should have the ability to be able to pursue their interests properly without those limitations of, you know, family commitments, financial resources, time resources, uh, educational resources, like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not like we're giving people an unfair advantage. We're trying to reduce, you know, it's like trying to put a baseline in really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously it would need to, there's a whole political discussion to be had around it, but the thing is, it's one of those things that not even everybody knows about. So the, the fact of the matter is that just, I think just having the discussion is a big enough thing at the moment. If enough people start talking about something and knowing about something, then hopefully action will be forthcoming from that. Cause I'm more of a, you know, don't act, think kind of person. <laughs> don't act, We, um, do you feel, um, do you kind of notice the subtle shifting in the attitudes at the moment to say working from home or being self-employed? I am I'm thinking in particular of the, um, the quote from Boris Johnson this week on his feelings about working from home is you get up, you wander slowly to the fridge, eat a hack off a piece of cheese. By the time you've got back to your desk, you forget what you're doing and you know, first of all, this is the person running our country. Well, he shouldn't judge other people by his own standards, should he, really? Exactly. 
Yes, completely. But um, the whole kind of a year and 18 months ago, maybe I'm losing track of time. My goodness. I think about that's, that's the lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's great time. <laughs> you can all do your jobs from home. Yeah. And everyone that I know that who is disabled, for example, mm-hmm. like, can we, can we now, can we work from home? Is that what you're saying? Wonderful. Everything's mm. changing. Now I'll be able to get a job. Mm. I'll be able to earn money. I'll be able to support my family. And then suddenly now after everyone's evolved in this, you know, we can have um, people working from home and doing the same quality of work as they would in the office. Now that things are opening back up again, that attitude seems to be swinging back again to, oh no, you know, nobody's productive working from home. They're just all eating teas. Well, I, I think that's an interesting area. We're, we're going to go off into a lot of speculation on this, aren't we? Um, yeah, we're very tangent. <laughs> <laughs> so from what I've seen, uh, so I'm talking about what I've seen sort of online rather than kind of the discussions that I've had. In terms of discussion, some people are going back, some people are staying at home, some people are doing a hybrid. That seems to be fairly mixed. Um, obviously, I haven't got, uh, you know, I've got a strange sample size to make that, those conclusions from. Um, in terms of what I see, in terms of things being published on largely social media, we seem to be the slowest going back into the office. Yeah. Out of the rest of other European nations. Yeah. There will be reasons for that. And I know that in some places, you know, you get a lot more resistance with, for example, traveling to the office or something. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it seems to be slow, but it seems to be that people prefer working from home more because they have, you know, various other commitments and other things to do. And they like that flexibility. Yeah. The downside is the isolation. Yes. You don't get the same sort of, I mean, this is great that I can, I can see you on the video and so on. And we can kind of like react to each other. Um, but it's different meeting in person when you're actually meeting a person and the, the conversation's easier, you know, it's easier to communicate in general. So yeah, people do miss that, I think. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, my cynical take is that they all want that because they're all the landlords and they want you to be paying the commercial rents for them. So I didn't even think of that. I bet you're right. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Look, we can't have my buildings going out of business. You all better get back in here right now. (laughs) You know, there's um, an estate agent conference at the Royal Armouries today. Mm, Yes. Palooza. It's, it's incredible. I, mm. I cycled by earlier and um, immediately cycled away. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, I'm going to move to another question. Okay. I'm going to move on to my change question. If you could change any three things about your work, what would you change? Okay. These are all going to be things that I know I need to change controversially. Um, <laughs> I would like to be better at asking for deadlines because one of the things with being very happy and joyful about what I do and also being quite a compulsive person, as soon as somebody says, can you do this? I'm like, throw everything out the way. Yes, I can do it right now. And with my kind of situation of also home learning and being a carer, that doesn't work if I say yes to everything and jump on it straight away. So I would love to get better asking for deadlines and setting those boundaries about does it need to be done now or should I do it next Thursday when I'm yeah. going to climb into work so 
that is one thing I would, I'm definitely working hard to change and I would love to have already got there. Mm-hmm. And okay, two of the things I would change. Uh, oh my goodness, I can't think of Would it be nice to have an assistant or something? I have a tiny apprentice. I joke that my child yeah. is a tiny apprentice. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I work one-on-one with clients or if it's more than one person. I, it's, you know, it's not always just the stakeholder. It's sometimes a team. So mm. I, I collaborate a lot creatively as I work. And mm. I'm not in any hurry to, you know, build a bigger company and employ people. Perhaps mm. one day, because I like the idea of being able to give someone employment. Mm. It's not really necessary for the way I work. Sometimes I will recommend a third party to do something that I mm. can't do because of time constraints or, or, or maybe um, something else. Um, so I, I have a sort of network of people that I can farm stuff out to. Um, mm. Yeah, oh gosh. Um, let me think. Two other things that I would change. Mm. Honestly, I think I'm just very happy with what I do and the people that I work with. Um, so I, yeah, just setting better boundaries and deadlines. <laughs> so basically just a bit more assertiveness. <laughs> yeah. I, I do not like saying no to people. Um, no. I have to, and I'm getting better as, it, as, as I get older. Um, but yeah, I, I find that in my personal life and my, you know, relationships with friends and family and things like that, I'm very, very good at taking care of myself and setting those loving boundaries now. But mm. as I said, because I'm so enthusiastic about what I do, I don't want to say no, I want to do it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so how many years have you been working for yourself now? Um, so my son was born nine years ago. I was at home within the first three years. And the third year of that, I started freelancing. So that's about six years mm. now. My business had its, um, yeah, it, it had its five-year anniversary last year, so six years. Hmm. So when you started out, when you started up, hmm. um, how was it finding the clients and stuff? Did you already come with like a selection of clients? Like how much time did you have to spend on business development? And was that hard? Are you now at a point where it's just like the work's coming in and you can kind of, you you do get to pick and choose? Um, so... My, initially, I thought I would freelance for one organization, the PR firm that I mentioned before that worked in renewable energy. And I knew that that would give me a certain number of hours of labor a week and I could then take on more later when my little lad started um, kindergarten and later school. Um, but as it happened, I there were so many people that I wanted to work with that, you know, when you come across people and they talk about their job and you think, oh my gosh, I could really help you or mm. have this great idea for you. And I was giving away all of this advice just out of love and for free. And then I realized that actually maybe I could help more people if I committed to it and did it mm. more seriously. So in addition to freelancing at first for that company, which I did for about another year, um, I started taking on my own other clients as well. And it, it just sort of grew from there. Mm. I'm very lucky um, that I have very good word of mouth to people that I work with. I've only ever lost one client and that was due to my situation as a carer. There, there was a point where things were very difficult and I just couldn't mm. build a contract. 
everyone else that I've worked with has been happy, has recommended me to people, um, or has you know left me nice reviews, which as you know, you have a good Google review or a Facebook review, people take that very seriously now. Yeah. Or LinkedIn. Link I haven't used LinkedIn for such a long time, but that used to be really good, you know, when they sort of brought in the endorsements and things. Mm. It is it's really picking up recently as well it's, yeah. it's becoming like quite a it's becoming a social media site <laughs> I, I use it on behalf of some of my clients you know i run their pages and things like that but i very very rarely update my own business social media because mm. i don't have that when i have time to do something I, I give that to my clients i hardly ever have time that i do it for myself yeah um, but also because i you asked about business development and it's not something that I need to do very actively at the moment because mm. I have inquiries coming in. Mm. Very, very fortunate. Um, mm. But I mean, if and when that changes, like during the first part of the lockdown, I was worried, um, should I be increasing my client load just in case, because I'm seeing, you know, their business is crumbling and mm. not mm. things because of Brexit and because of COVID. I thought, well, I better, you know, bring in some backups. So I did do some um, more active uh, posting and um, advertising and that's still paying off now 18 months two years later yeah how do you feel about the like how much time do you spend on marketing yourself because you kind of have to <laughs> but then you don't need to <laughs> i don't need to but i have to if only to demonstrate that i know what i'm doing yeah um, when I was recommending to my clients that they use Reels on Instagram, for example, I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to start using them because otherwise, you know, they need to see examples. So yeah. um, I'd be roller skating around the office, dancing from the office, doing <laughs> random like smash cuts to things, you know, all of this <laughs> embarrassing stuff. But um, the, the way I sort of explained it to people is we can showcase your working behind the scenes um, stuff and, and mm. how you create. We can give personality up to your brand mm. by doing this. And you've just got to get over the discomfort. Because yeah. I find that universally, most people don't like promoting themselves. They don't mm. like putting themselves front and center. And no. part of the reason I do what I do is because I love elevating other people. I don't really have any interest in in going on about myself. Yeah. Um, which is why this is very weird doing a podcast. I never talk about me. Um, so I'm trying not to chatter too much out of the sheer novel. <laughs> and the slight existential dread. Yeah. <laughs> and all the caffeine that I've drunk while doing it. There have been sort of peaks and troughs where if, if I'm posting on Instagram, for example, it's probably because I need to do a few things as examples for people. Yeah. But um, because most of my clients are quite happy with me using work I've done for them as an example, yeah, um, which is good. It's a bit of a, a broad portfolio of work. Very synergistic. <laughs> and also, you know, it, it kind of promotes them in the process. Mm. You never know what collaborations happen as a result of that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I hardly ever admittedly do any of my own. I mean, it's, is, is marketing the key to saving the world? Oh, wow. What a great question. There's one to just drop on you as you're just going to take a sip of tea. <laughs> I think it was an, almost a spit tank then. <laughs> I might have a t-shirt made that says marketing is the key to saving the world. I might steal that. 
And I don't know. I mean, you could argue that in very many ways, marketing is ruining everything about our society. Well, you could argue it's responsible for ruining it, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, with that whole kind of, I don't, I don't, maybe fighting fire with fire is the wrong um, thing. What's the quote? Um, the, ma- the master's tools dismantle the master's house. I'm going to, oh God, no. Um, that's, that's almost right. It's, um, yeah, it's Maya Angelou and it's something about using the master's tools to dismantle his house. Um, So maybe marketing would be the key to undoing a lot of what's been done. Um, There's um, Leeds International Festival of Ideas coming up soon and there's going to be a great talk on social media from, uh, I've completely forgotten his name, the guy who worked for Cambridge Analytica. Not, what, the the head guy or the whistleblower? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to be going. I can add it in the show notes if people need to yeah, know. <laughs> it looks like it's going to be amazing. Um, so I, I'll be going to that. I'm very eager to hear of any ideas for hope. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some other questions which I'm thinking of bringing in. Sure. Um, and they're not always relevant. So I will, um, I'll, I'll basically just go through some of those. So first one's to do with unions. With what, sorry? With unions, trade unions. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I worked previously in unions and union environments. Um, so it's something I think of. So have you ever, like, what have your experience of unions been? Have they been good, bad, indifferent? Have you never come across them? <laughs> like, um, have you ever been asked to be in a union? Like, what, what's your working relationship with them? I have never been asked to join a union by any company I've been employed by or worked with. Mm. I have worked on a lot of social justice campaigns Mm. and had involvement from unions in that and seen the the power and importance of them. Uh, I did some work a long time ago for uh, the Labour Party and some marketing work for them and um, just very briefly. And so I kind of have... I feel like I have no first-hand experience whatsoever to contribute, really. Mm. I think that's telling as well, though, that, you know, um, because why aren't unions coming and getting marketed? <laughs> I am. So things like, I mean, we have trading standards and we have advertising standards, all of which are currently changing, mm. which is interesting. Um but I am um, not all of which, but some of which. Um, so I've often thought that in terms of media, there should be much more regulation as to the kind of harmful impact of um, some, you know, mainstream media and journalism. And I'm wondering if unions could be instrumental in that. But I think what I believe just academically, as I say, with no first-hand experience, probably that anything that can protect workers' rights is always going to be a good thing. Um, and just giving a voice to the, you know, the people that um, need to be heard. Mm. Yeah, well, to someone other than people who went to Eton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, very little real-world experience of the constituents that you're supposed to be representing is a, a very serious uh, and, and significant um, hindrance to doing that job, I think. So 
Mm. Okay, so another question, which is on drugs. Um, I like a nice shocking title, but it, it's considering everything. Um, so, you know, sugar, salt, tea, coffee, <laughs> wine, beer, <laughs> and other substances. Uh, I mean, I think there's a relationship between drugs and work. Um, and I've, I said this in a conversation with someone about beer and I was watching one of these YouTube videos and they were talking about, you know, sort of the move to agriculture. And they were saying, you know, beer and bread's basically the same thing. And people think that we started farming so we could have bread. But what about beer? Maybe we all gave up <laughs> hunter gathering for beer, which to me sounds more reasonable. So, um, I mean, does do you need caffeine to work? Do you do you have to have a glass of wine at the end of the day? Like, what? How do you think drugs play into work? Um. So for me, um, one of my, I mean, literally, as you can see from the tattoos, tea is very, very important to me. I'm extremely passionate about drinking loose leaf tea, about the ceremony of preparing it. It's a huge part of my day. I actually don't mind whether it's herbal or whether it's caffeinated. And I don't feel like I need caffeine to be able to get up and go. I, I start work usually about 5 a.m. Mm. So I, yeah, I, getting a lot of work out of the way before everyone else starts the day is very helpful in my life. So I, yeah, I don't need to get up and be caffeinated to work. Um, I think just general joy and exuberance and enthusiasm carries me through. <laughs> um, and I'm going to sound, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yes, you are, yeah. I sound like such a wanker saying this, but yoga is probably my drug of, drug of choice. The, mm. the high you get from yoga is is the thing that I need every day. Mm. Um, I do like a glass of wine. I found myself during the first lockdown, out of just sheer boredom and whatever, quite often having a glass of wine at the end of each day, which is not something I ever did before. It was more of a, if you go out, socially you'd have a drink or not have a drink and that that it wasn't like a big thing that we did drinking at home but we did find ourselves having a glass of wine <laughs> especially <laughs> it was just because we were working from home I think sometimes you need that boundary of you know shrugging out of your office outfit yeah. getting your work environment and being back at home but yeah. if you are been working in your pajamas all day and if you've been working from home mm. the thing that you do to separate is to pour a glass of wine and sit down and that's you know, the kid's gone to bed, mm. you have dinner, it's now your time. That I think maybe a lot of people found commonality in, in that. And I, yeah, I, w I wouldn't say I need it, but I don't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I think, sorry, go on. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting that you raised, you know, that you raised that point of, you know, drawing the line between the, demarking work and non-work and and sort of drinking more during lockdown but i mean work is it's a, it's a lot of things but it's kind of performative as well because you are you know you get up you get you get into your costume <laughs> and then you go to the stage and then you perform your role and then you finish and you exit and you come back to your life I, <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> <laughs> would certainly make work exciting every day um yeah so i i think that's interesting like i mean even with a suit you know having a costume to go to work or uniforms or this sort of yeah it's all it's all strange yeah um so 
I've pretty much gone through my questions there, unless I can think of anything else all of a sudden. Um, so I'm going to throw it over to you. Is there anything that you would like to sort of discuss that we've not touched upon or anything that I've kind of piqued your interest with that you'd like to explore? Um, I don't think so. I don't have anything to plug or any agenda to kind of put forth that I think hasn't already come out through the uh, very thoughtful and insightful questions you've asked. Um, I would like to probably just tell people to be kind to each other and themselves because nothing bad ever came of that, really. Thank you again to Leanne for being my guest. Thanks again to all my guests and thanks to you, Leeds, for being my subject. And of course, most of all, thank you to you, my dear listener. Come back next week to hear me talk to a local councillor. Okay, that's me. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, Leeds. So many people um, I speak to really enjoy their jobs. <laughs> yeah, I love my job and I take, I give it the seriousness that it's due, but I don't take myself very seriously, as you probably noticed. <laughs> I mean, was that, I mean, in your 20s, you weren't like that, were you? <laughs> I mean, well, was that something that you kind of aged into of like, I'm a professional now? No, the complete opposite. In my 20s, I felt so much pressure to be very corporate, very professional, very suited and booted, mm. behaving in a much more grown-up and middle-aged way than I was in my 20s. Mm. Everything was, I, I bought a house in my, I was 21, bought a house, which you can't do now, but mm. you could then. <laughs> so it was all very much about, about behaving in the way that you were supposed to, to be a grown-up. Soon as I had a child, I realized that everything means nothing and you don't have to do that at all. You just live life in a way that's joyful for you and cast off those kind of expectations that um, other people have because that, that's theirs, it's not yours. And uh, life got a lot more fun, a lot more meaningful. There's, um, one of my clients uses the exp expression soul-driven, which I love. Um, so what I do, there's, there's real soul in that. It makes me feel good. I can see the impact it has. And it's not about just earning some big FTSE 500 company, a lot of money and the supposed gravitas that comes along with that. Mm, mm. Yeah. I mean, so staying on that, do you think, so what, what do you think is the, what am I trying to get to here? So I'm, I'm trying to ask, so obviously you're being more kind of corporate professional there but then that realization to get to this place i suppose i'm asking to get to the place where you think right i'm doing work that i like that i respect myself for <laughs> that um i can sleep you know, at night <laughs> yeah basically i can sleep at night and not just because i'm doing something good but also because i'm not staying awake in horror that i have to go back <laughs> yeah. um so I mean, was that, was that journey of finding yourself getting to that place and, and what were the things that you think you, you needed to have in place? I mean, if okay. the money wasn't there, do you think you would have been able to do it? Do you think it would have taken longer or like, um, I, I, I don't know. You, you kind of know what I'm getting at I though, think I think. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if my answer is going to be what you're expecting, but 
Um, I'm a queer person, I'm pansexual, and in my 20s, there was no representation for that. I didn't have the language for it. I'd never heard the word. Mm. I back then would have said I was bisexual. Mm. And the whole society then, so different to the way it's now. Mm. I wasn't out. Um, I wasn't in. I wasn't, it just wasn't discussed. Yep. Have relationships and it was my business and nobody else's. But yep. um, coming from a place now of authenticity, acceptance, um, having community and knowing that it's okay to just be myself and do what mean is meaningful to me. Mm. I didn't have that in my twenties. Um, I really did think it was all about passing and fitting in and, and doing what's expected. And it's not like that now. I don't know whether that's as much the wisdom that comes with age, um, or experience or whether it's the different culture that we live in, mm. probably a bit of all of it. Um, mm. and also have it's a cliche, but having a child really brings you back to yourself as a child and all of the things that you can see that you needed or wish you'd had or mm. want to replicate or want to do differently. It's so front and center and you're seeing the world through your child's eyes every day that it, it does fundamentally change you. And you, there is kind of a lot of, why am I doing this? What's the point in doing this? And is this something I want to model as a behavior to another human? And a lot of the times it's no. And they mirror the things that you don't like about yourself that you didn't realize were so annoying or not, you know, not the way you thought you were. Yeah. So it, that probably cracks you open and changes you as well. Um, but yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, we're, we're all used to seeing ourselves in mirrors, but we're not used to looking at our reflection. That oh, sounds good, doesn't it? And then mentioning these as Instagram posts. <laughs> yeah, it's what I should be doing instead. I'm kind of motivational speaker. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I am aware work-wise that, you you know from from the research that i've seen it's the things that that make work work for you are a sense of mastery a sense of mm -hmm. purpose and a sense of autonomy um but then i i know from an employer side or a business side as well it, it, it's sort of there is a need to like get people as very cheap as possible and you know get as much out of them as you possibly can and they're expensive <laughs> Yeah. And, and they're not you, so you don't know how they're going to do it or if they're going to do it up to your standards or if them doing it differently is actually better. And then if it is better, does that make you worse? Like there's a lot <laughs> of things to worry about. <laughs> Nobody wants to be um, obsolete and uh, people often like to think that they're indispensable or mm. at least needed and valued. So I think you're probably right when you're hiring someone else that there's a whole ego thing that probably comes into play with that. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I, I mean the whole, um, I mean, I talked to someone a while back. He was, a um, set himself up as a, a business sounding board. So he's a guy who, uh, made a company and that sold it off to a PLC. So he, he did well out of it. It was early in the internet and stuff. And, um, yeah, he'd come up with a, a good idea that became a bigger idea and he was saying about with have I lost the have I lost the thread? I think I've lost the thread. Oh yeah, to do with ego. 
Yeah, because it, like part of the thing is he's saying, you know, someone needs to tell tell you your baby's ugly sometimes. <laughs> You know, when you're a business, like that's a bad idea. But also the sort of, as a company gets bigger, it's kind of like you get isolated and you, you can't really, you can't really have a discussion with a company that's got a few people about how you're going to sell it because <laughs> they don't want you to sell it <laughs> and how to stop yourself interfering too much in the work that other people are doing. Um, because you know, it's big enough now it's happening and stop having ideas that <laughs> Let them do the work that they're doing. That was the other thing that you mentioned to me. Yeah. Um, until you've got something that can function without you there, you haven't got a business to sell. So if, if your business needs you to work, <laughs> then you haven't got a sellable business. Like, I mean, to sell to another company. Wow. Oh, I'm going to have to let that one sit for a minute. I, um, Something that I quite often say is that people buy from people and yeah. a lot of what um, I might talk about with a company is if that person isn't aligned with their own brand, yeah. it can be difficult. But I suppose it depends on the scale of the business because, I mean, we see quite often when scandals happen, people, you know, CEOs have to resign and, mm. and you know, but I mean, is the founder or CEO of the company the lifeblood of it? Or is it the, the product? Is it the service? Is it the people that work there? That, you know, wow. That's a really interesting perspective. I, I'm going to have to think about that a lot more. <laughs> At least I've given you something to think about. Always, yeah. Um, so I, I think I will stop the recording there because otherwise I'm just going to natter. Okay. You know, rubbish at you. Um, the, uh, it will go downhill from here in terms of what I'm contributing. <laughs> <laughs>